0: Well, hello, Westwood family. It's awesome to be with you today. My name is Ben, and I'm so honored to be here again to get to bring a message from the book of James. So if you got your Bible, you're going to want to pull it out or look it up on your phone, because we're going to walk right through James chapter 3. And today, as Ben Rosenbusch shared, is we're talking about taming the tongue. And I'm going to specifically talk about how your words matter. So would you just look at the person next to you and tell them, your words matter. They do. They matter. Yeah, and here's the key verse that we're going to be pulling on today, and it's from James chapter three verse nine. It says, "With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. So both praise and blessing and cursing coming from the same tongue, who, So cursing human beings who have been made in God's likeness." And so right from the get-go, we get this concept that the, the tongue can both heal but also it can hurt, hurt profoundly. So let's, first let's talk about healing. And Proverbs and 16 says this, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Isn't that beautiful? Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So I, I did a talk uh, years ago, a youth talk, that I would come back to a, a few times, where I would take a paper bag and I would say to everybody... In this bag is the most powerful weapon the world has ever known. It has toppled governments. It has eviscerated individuals. It was the preferred weapon of Churchill and Hitler during World War II. Anybody have a guess of what's in the bag? I heard some mumbling. I don't know. I couldn't tell exactly what you said, but I would have kids come up, put their hand in it, and be like, ah! And what I would pull out was a cow tongue. I don't have a cow tongue in here today, sorry. (laughs) But because the tongue has that power to build up and to destroy a weapon of mass destruction, but also an incredibly powerful tool for balance here of the bag. Hold on, there we go. An incredibly powerful tool. So it can heal and it can destroy. Somebody asked me recently, thinking about words that are honeycomb and sweet. Somebody asked me recently, they noted that I've got three college kids, and they said, your kids seem like they're pretty solid, like they're, they're, they're young people of character, and they said, hey, can you just offer some parenting advice? And, and as I was thinking about it, I'm like, I could tell you all the things we did wrong, and I'm sure they could too. But as I thought about it, I was like, well, there's probably one thing in our lives that consistently has made a difference in helping develop the character of our children. And the answer to that is my wife. (laughs) I mean, it's not even our anniversary. I'm just telling you, that's the truth. Because my wife has this incredible gift and it is the gift of encouragement and the gift of bringing healing words. And so my wife, bag is off balance today. My wife has the gift of pouring life-giving words into those around her. And so having been married for a few decades, having raised kids together, I have witnessed how she has poured into our babies. And they have grown, and the things in them uh, have grown. The character of God in them has grown as she has consistently watered. If you think about watering, like if you don't consistently water a plant, it'll wilt. And she's done that in my life. She's done that in theirs. And not always when it's easy. Like, she is gifted at this. Yesterday, literally yesterday, we had, we, had a, we had a little fight. And at the end of the fight, instead of my wife saying, you are really stubborn, she said this, you're really good at standing your ground. <laughs> she poured encouragement on me. And some of you might be thinking, I'm going to use that phrase. <laughs> you're really good at standing your ground. And she just poured life into us. And and what we water grows. What we reinforce gets remembered. Uh, we had a vacation years ago where we went out into, into the mountain country, just beautiful area of the world. We, we, we love to get away there. And as we're on our way, we're like 15 hours into this trip. And uh, you can imagine that 15 hours into the trip, we weren't seeing all the highest character qualities of my kids. Right? All the things I just mentioned. That's not what happens with the car crankiness. So we got into this beautiful area. And my wife, who loves nature, is like, we have got to stop. We've got to get out. We've got to take pictures. And we're like, okay. So we stop and we get out. And all of my high car- character kids were like, we are not doing that. So they stayed in the car. And my wife and I got out. We took our photos and we kind of enjoyed it. And then we had this conversation, literally, before we even got in the car. Said, we, we, have, a, we have an option here. Uh, We can either reinforce when we talk about this in the future about how our kids were cranky and didn't want to enjoy this moment, or we can reinforce and pour on this beautiful, the other moments from this trip and this beautiful area of the country that we were in. And I'll tell you, my kids listening to this right now, they're probably like, we don't even remember that. Why? Because we didn't pour on to the negative side. We poured into that, which was good, and that's what grew and grew in them. And so it's a beautiful thing to see that and to see that happen. And maybe you've got people in your life or maybe you can think of a specific phrase or word that that has become anchored into your identity that somebody has spoken into you. Because words, they can be life-giving. But words, and they can also be something else. Uh, Here's another proverb, Proverbs 25. Like a club or a sword Or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. Words can be weapons that inflict wounds. Now, haven't some of us experienced that as well? Like the the harshness of that, the the pain of that. I mean, I know people in their 70s and 80s who remember with crystal clarity words that were spoken to them when they were 13, 10, 6, that still echo with pain, right? Sticks and stones so may break my bones, but words—yeah, what a lie, <laughs> right? Right? Like physical wounds, they tend to heal in a pretty good amount of time, but but emotional wounds, wounds from words, man, those things dig deep. They burn. They stick. It's a different healing process. Right, so James says this about weaponized words. It says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Whoa, those are some strong words. And I think some of us are like, yeah, I've, I know those words. I've heard those words. Those words have also echoed and, and hurt. And so I've got an illustration for that as well today. That's right. This is a small flamethrower. And as soon as I pull this out, Bruce over here just puts his hand on a fire extinguisher. So. But we're going to give this a try. All right. Uh-oh. <gasps> are we out of gas? Let's, uh, let's give this to somebody to make sure. Oh, there it is. Um, whoa, there it is. Wow. Our words can be weaponized. And now just for safety, I'm going to set this aside. Wow, we'll call that user error that could have gotten really dangerous. I'm glad that you were ready. Words burn like a fire, sparks set aflame. They can be like a weapon. And haven't we all experienced where those words have done that to us? Uh, uh, Years ago, I played basketball in junior high and our coach came up with this brilliant plan of a a play for the team. So we we put four people on defense and one of them went to the other end of the court. So the goal of the four people was to steal the ball And then throw it down the court for that one person to catch it and just make a layup. That was it. Catch it, make a layup. So, uh, and I think this is probably a little bit of an indictment of my defensive skills, but I was not one of the four on defense, but I was the one down the court. And so we put this into practice, in practice. The four people steal the ball, they throw it down the court, and I'm I'm trying to catch it, and the ball just goes right through my fingers. And so in that moment that coach had a decision. He could either water and encourage or he could could use words that weaponized or mocked. And he called me in that moment, Mr. Butterfingers, which maybe wasn't that big a deal in the moment, but for a seventh grade kid, it it was like a torch to my soul. And so, The rest of the time, that whole practice, we never used it in a game because that entire practice, every time the ball came to me, all I could hear was echoed in my head, Mr. Butterfingers. I didn't catch it once. Didn't make a single layup because those words were like a weapon. Now listen, this message today, this is for all of us because all of us have had words spoken to us that burned. All of us have had words spoken to us that bring life. I, at least I hope so. And at the same time, this message is for everyone because all of us have used words as a weapon. I mean, how many of us can you relate to, man, just having that like foot in mouth experience? Like laying in bed at night being like, why did I say that? Right, that, that by the way is one of the hardest parts about being a, a preacher in churches it's like no matter how many people share things or encouraging th- words about your message, in the afternoon, almost every Sunday, what goes through your head are, man, I wish, why did I say that? Why didn't I say that? Why did I do it in that? Why? We why? all have that foot and mouth experience. And so I think that's why in James, uh, he, he starts with talking about teachers. And it says this in James chapter three Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So why is he talking about teachers coming into this talk about the tongue? Because rabbinical teachers at the time, like they were they were well-known, they were famous, they had platforms, they were, the I follow this guy, I follow that one, and, and in good rabbinical style, kind of the Hebrew mindset, it wasn't so much about what they said, people say, like, the, today we write down what you wrote, what, what you said, we, we quote it, but in those days it was more about what you did, I follow the way of this rabbi. I do as this rabbi does. I live like this rabbi lives. And when a rabbi or teacher did not live a perfect life, when they were, fell off the pedestal, when they stumbled because no one's perfect, it was a greater fall. It was more public. Their words were amplified, but so were also their mistakes and their failings. So beware You want a platform. And nowadays, it's not just stages that provide platforms. Everybody wants their social media to be their platform. Beware. Your platform amplifies the good, but it also amplifies the broken in all of us. In all of us. So uh, James lays, lays it out for us like, hey, don't be afraid. Beware of being a teacher. Jesus says in Matthew 12 that we will all be held accountable for our careless words. Like that's a strong statement. Jesus is telling us we're gonna be held accountable for our careless words. Sometimes I think that we would take sin more seriously if the consequences of sin happened immediately. Right, like you you take one hit of a drug and immediately you lose your family, you lose your money and you go to prison. You'd probably be like, this consequence is something to think about, right? Our words have consequences. In today's amplified environment, Words can literally destroy worlds in minutes. Uh, There's a a story of a young woman who hopped on a plane to Africa. This is a few years ago now. And before she got on the plane, she wrote an, an insensitive, inflammatory tweet. What she wrote was terrible. She wrote that tweet. She hopped on the plane, had no internet for, I don't know, eight, nine hours, however long the flight was. And by the time she landed, her tweet had gone viral to the point that she had already lost her job. Girl had no idea this was coming to the point that there was a hashtag trending that said, when will she land? Because everybody was waiting to see her reaction because her world was on fire and she didn't even know it. And then her family after that said, "This is, they made a public statement saying this is not how she was raised. This is not indicative of her character. And I, I believe that's probably very true yet. Wayward words, and we see in our amplified culture today, wayward words, even a decade ago, pulled out, can destroy worlds, can rip down character that took a lifetime to build. Your words matter. And our words, they have consequences. So uh, what I wanna do now is talk about hurting words and healing words and kind of make a comparison here. So here's a list of hurting words uh, compared to healing words. So on the hurting side, we have gossip. And on the healing side, we have silence. Now gossip is an interesting one because I just want to share this. If you know somebody who gossips or they're always sharing or they're always collecting information and talking about somebody or maybe tearing down in little ways, like there's a high likelihood when you're not around, they're also talking about you, <laughs> right? So here's the thing about gossip. It not only tears down the people that is, are being talked about, it actually tears down the person who is the gossip because trust is eroded, right? And on the opposite of that is silence, is holding your tongue, holding other people's, the the confessions or the life or what's going, like be honorable of them in keeping silent. Interestingly, the point on the next line is silence is on the hurting side. So silence can be both healing and hurting, but be wise about when you use it because there are times when silence in the face of injustice, in the face of dismissal, like not standing up, or simply in this case here, as I say on the healing side, not saying I'm sorry. So I, I don't know where y'all are at, but I would, I would guess in a, a church this size and the number of people listening to this message, that there are at least a few people here today that just need to hear this. Maybe the one thing that you take from this message is that there's somebody in your life that you've hurt You just need to do the healing thing of saying, owning that and genuinely apologizing. That's it. To heal, to to forgive the way God has forgiven you. And then then we'll we'll keep going down here. Um, Brutal honesty is on the hurting side, criticism. But also on the healing side is criticism, truth and love, constructive criticism. Listen, we need the truth. The word in Hebrew for truth is the word m f. Like T-H at the end. In Hebrew, you spit a lot. M-F. And it literally is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's like saying A to Z. It's saying the truth is everything, not holding back. Because sometimes holding back in silence and not saying a hard truth is not loving. It's actually hurting, not healing. But to say it in truth, in love, where is that coming from? I'll tell you what, our culture is really missing out on a few of these. And I think truth and love is one of them. Truth is love is one of them. Next is complaining, and gratefulness. Complaining is hurting. Gratefulness is healing. Uh, and I'll share this. If you are in the lane of complaining, have you noticed that when you feel like like it can be, you can almost become like statically charged to it? Like you start complaining, and suddenly you have more and more and more to complain about. Like you just, get in a, you just get in that lane and it's hard to get out of. And, and they've actually done scientific studies. You cannot be both complaining, grumbling, and grateful at the same time. They're two different ways of thinking. So if you find yourself complaining, listen, if you want to complain, I guarantee you can find something to complain about. Amen? Yeah. At the same time, if you want to be thankful I guarantee you can find something to be grateful for. Amen? Amen. Amen. Which lane are we in? And then mocking and encouragement. Uh, I'll just just say this about this one. Uh, Some of us in here are like, well, I don't mock people, but my love language is sarcasm. (laughs) Like, you know somebody like that? Maybe they've literally said that. My love language is sarcasm. And I'm not saying sarcasm itself isn't necessarily hurting but it is a fine line. Like, the book of Job, God uses sarcasm. So sarcasm can be used and not be hurting. But I'll tell you what, be really careful because the road from sarcasm to mocking and hurting, even if we're all laughing together, but going home and crying, I mean, that's a slippery slope. So, so man, I'll tell you what, if I want to err, I want to err on the side of encouragement, not on mocking. Now, as I put this list before you, like, hey, I want to turn this into a magnet, put it on my fridge, and just be like, hey, from now on, I'm going to do the, the healing stuff and none of the hurting stuff. Like, don't you, it, like as a preacher, I just want to say to everybody, okay, here's the answer. Stop hurting. Just be nice to each other. Like, how's that going to work? I, I, I challenge you for the next 24 hours, don't let any of the hurting kind of talk come out of your mouth. Don't gossip. Don't be, don't be critical with this, honest, with, this, with this kind of brutal honesty. Don't complain. Don't mock. Like 24 hours, do you think you could do it? Yeah. Some of you are like, I think I could. If you take a vow of silence, <laughs> I'm telling you, it is a challenge. And even then, I bet in your heart, you'll be feeling some of those things. Because James says this to us. He goes on, he says, all kinds of animals birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Notice, he's saying, if your answer is, I'll say the healing words, not the hurting words, and I'm gonna muscle my way into it. No, you're not. You're not. In fact, no human being can tame the tongue. We need divine intervention. And that's, like, the point here is not, okay, everybody, go, use your words wisely on your strength. You won't, you can't, we fail. But if the point is, hey, we lean on the grace of God and we pray that he would be at work in us, would you, Lord, redeem my words? That's where we want to go. So what does that look like? And and I'm going to frame it with this question. How do we replace hurting words with healing words? And the first thing is this. Address the heart. So how do we replace hurting words with healing words? We address the heart. And Jesus says this in Luke 6. He says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks so one of my favorite illustrations so you might have heard this before but you'll hear in our culture all the time just follow your just follow your heart right that is horrible advice can i just say it's horrible like it'd be like saying hey i've got this new diet just follow your tongue whatever you like you just eat that right And, and i know in america we're like that kind of is our diet Right? But it's horrible advice. Do not follow your heart. Jeremiah 17 says, Our hearts are deceitful above all else. Do not follow your heart. Follow God's heart. Can I say it again? Do not follow your heart. Follow God's heart. Be filled with what is good. From him, overflow in that. Uh, there's, this, it, there's this interesting thing called the law of exposure. And this is how it goes. What you're exposed to affects what you think about. And what you think about affects who you are becoming. So you have, to, you have to ask, what am I exposed to? What am I reading? What am I listening to? What am I watching? And how is that affecting my heart? What is the company I keep and the places I go how is that affecting my heart? How is that affecting what you think about? How is that affecting who you are becoming? I mean, In the New Testament, we're told to think about what is good and right. And, and if we're, it starts with what we're exposed to. Uh, years ago, uh, there was this mail-in opportunity where you could send one penny in to the BMG group and receive 10 CDs in return. Some of you know what I'm talking about, and some of you are like, what is a CD? (laughs) Yeah. So back then, CDs, musical, compact disc, that's what it stands for. So I got my 10 CDs, and, you know, I didn't tell my parents. It was a penny. I could afford it. So it showed up, and my parents saw this box, and they opened it up, and all of these CDs had on them this little thing that said explicit lyric warning. And my parents were like, "We're we're not keeping those. You're sending those back. And I was like, but, but listen, I don't listen to the words. I just like the music, right? How wrong could I be? How wrong could I be? I'm so, glad, I'm so glad they sent that back, even though I did not get my penny back, by the way. They keep that penny. But what you're exposed to affects what you think about. What I was being exposed to, I'm so glad they sent that back because that was filth for my mind and my heart what you think about affects who you are becoming so imagine this uh, imagine I've got two plates up here and on one plate is the is the one that our tongue really likes it's the food that we love but we know is bad for us so there's a local restaurant it has a, bu- a burger called the 60 40 it's like 60 uh, percent beef 40 percent bacon it's so good <laughs> It's so good. If you want to know what it is later, you can talk to me. 60-40 burger. I'll probably have more people talk to me after this service than any other one, right? (laughs) So let's put that on the plate, all right? And then we'll just throw some ice cream on there too because, man, most people love ice cream. It's so good, but not good for you. So imagine that you're trying, you know, to eat well, and you're like, this is so good. If that's in front of you, it's hard to resist that. But on this plate, imagine that we have food that is good for you, and you like it. So what do we put on that plate? Probably some avocado, right? Maybe a little fruit. No kale. That is, no, that's just not allowed. No kale, all right? So here's the deal. We got these two plates in front of us. I want to resist this one. So what do I do? I fill myself up on this one. Fill up on what is good, and you won't have room for what is not good. And every time I do this, I feel a little bit like Karate Kid. Wax on. Wax off. <laughs> Fill up with what is good so that you, so that you can resist what isn't. Do you hear that? Do you see that? Even though I love that 60-40 burger, if I'm stuffed, I can resist that. I can resist that. It's different. Uh, I heard on the radio this week they were talking about this mission in the Philippines. And I had, I had never heard this before but the Philippines apparently is a place where sex tourism is a big thing and a big issue and so these missionaries felt like their call was to this particular place in the Philippines and they could go there uh, as Americans especially because as tourists they were able to go into the places they were invited into the places where the worst debauchery was happening and so So they're talking about this and they're talking about trying to go into these places at one, two in the morning when debauchery is at its worst. And they said before they would go, they would spend hours in prayer, praise, and worship. And this is why. So that when they went into the darkest of the dark places, they were not themselves tempted, that they were not even themselves judging, but instead they were going with the eyes of God and the strength of God that was built from having hours of worship and then entering that dark place. They said that is how they were able to go there and do ministry and then asking God to move and then seeing him move in profound ways. I mean, beware of what we fill ourselves with. And and Martin Luther once said, my day is so busy, I need to pray more before I leave the house today. Right, We, we have got to fill with what is good first and foremost. Beware of your heart and what is in it and overflowing from it. So how do we replace hurting words with healing words? First, we address the heart. Secondly, we speak to others the way you want them to speak to you. This is essentially the golden rule, the way Jesus laid it out. And I'm gonna use an image for this as well. This is a thing called the crazy cycle. Uh, this is taken from a book, Love and Respect, which is a Christian uh, Uh, marriage book taken right out of the scripture and I think this is really powerful so hear this uh, the crazy cycle he so it's a he she marriage he reacts without love when he does that she reacts without respect when she reacts without respect he reacts without love and see how like not feeling love means to not showing respect not Feeling respected means to not, leads to not showing love. It's a crazy cycle. It just keeps feeding on itself and getting worse and worse. Like we see this in all sorts of areas of life, right? Feel disrespected at work. Don't put in my best work, right? So I'm fine, then I'll do less. Um, feel judged in my parenting. Well, I'm going to just tell you how bad your little angels actually are, Right? <laughs> Somebody tells you that your football team's probably not going to be very good this year. You might agree with them. <laughs> and maybe you think I'm saying that as a Viking fan. I'm not. I'm saying that as a Packer fan. So you say my team's you say you say my team's not looking very good this year. I'll say, "Well, let's look at your team's Super Bowl record, right?" Those are fighting words. <laughs> So what happens? We escalate and we escalate and we escalate and hurt becomes hate and hate becomes hate. Ang- it, just, it just keeps building and building and building and getting and worse. And isn't this indicative of what is happening in our culture today? Right? Somebody says something that is hurting, somebody else reacts and it just gets worse and we're going to war. And is that the voice that echoes Somebody whose heart is overflowing with the things of God. How do we speak into this? See, see, listen, what, what breaks the cycle? This is what does it in a marriage with somebody doesn't show love, but she still reacts with respect. She doesn't show respect, still responds with love. Do you see how it breaks the cycle? Flipping. And that's really hard. Can feel impossibly hard. And, and I, just, I do need to say this, if constantly one side is always responding in love and the other side is responding in, in vitriol, well then that's an abusive cycle and that requires a, a different intervention. But listen, it is really hard to stay angry at somebody who responds to you in love. Who It's hard not to love somebody who's loving you. It like, It's hard when you're in a fight and somebody says, hey, I just love the way you stand up. To be like, ah, oh, thank you, right? (laughs) It breaks the cycle. This, this is so key. We need to hear this. And how do we do that? Because some of us are like, listen, you don't know the hate or the hurt or the things that have happened. And that cycle has gone on so long, it has created deep scars. How does that change? Only by the grace of God. And truly by the grace of God. Like when we come here to worship, we're, we're worshiping a God who has broken this cycle for all of humanity, right? Mankind has betrayed him. Mankind has shown hatred to him. Mankind has rejected him. And in response, Jesus laid down his life for all of us. I think it's funny that we don't look at the cross and uh, the literal cross as an oddity because We wear it on our shirts, on our jewelry. We put it on our walls. To a first century person, the cross itself is a means of death, an instrument of torture. It's pain, death, hurt. Yet we see it today as the ultimate symbol of hope. Why? Because Jesus broke the crazy cycle once and for all. In response to while we were yet sinning, he laid down his life for us. While they were literally nailing his hands to a cross, he said, Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He broke the cycle. And I just have to say, man, what does that look like for us to be people who overflow with that because we've been filled with that? So at this point in the message, as I was preparing, I was thinking about what do I do in this moment? And one part of me wanted to just take the scripture and share with you all of the life-giving truth about who God says you are. Because I want that to echo in your heart. Like the life-giving truth to build that more and more in you. And I think that's beautiful and good. But that's not actually where James goes. So let's look at, as we close this out. Let's look at James. James says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And then he goes on to talk about the root and bearing good fruit. It starts at the root. But the same mouth comes praise, blessing of God. He doesn't start with, he doesn't start with us. He starts with God and way too often we want to start with ourselves. So here's what I want to challenge us today as we close this message. I want to challenge us to be filled with that which is good by starting the way James encourages us to, the way they did in the Philippines, starting by praising the name of God Almighty, being overwhelmed with gratitude for who he is, thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made, and that may that pour life giving fullness into our hearts and overflow. Why do we come back to worship week after week after week that we might continue to be filled? And if all you're getting in worship is just this Sunday, you're missing a lifetime of the fullness. Jesus said he wants us to live life and life to the full. So, so I'm going to invite you and uh, in, in a few of the band members are going to come up here. I'm going to invite you to stand with me at all, all the Westwoods campuses, Bush, Bush Lake, West Tonka. Let's stand. And let's give praise and honor to our Savior who broke the crazy cycle. Let's pour out our hearts to Him that we might be filled so no matter what this day and this life brings to us, we can see it with His eyes. We can stand in His grace we can be life givers. Amen? Lord, would you fill us to overflowing. Lord, uh, Lord, I pray this, that the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths, Lord, that they would be beautiful and honoring in your sight. Fill us as only you can, not our strength, not our muscling, but Lord, We lean on you. Fill us to overflowing. You have broken the crazy cycle. Would you continue day after day after day to do that in our lives and may that reflect in our words. In your name I pray. Amen.